Welcome back to the UCM Veterans Voice, a podcast sponsored by the Military and Veterans Center at the University of Central Missouri. My name is Garrett Fuller, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andy Shaw. Uh, Dewey Ball and Kenny Wall could not make it today. Today, we have a very special guest, Ken Schuler, uh, Director of Academic Success Advising at the Success Advising Center here at UCM. Before coming to UCM, Ken served in many roles in the Air Force. So, Ken, can you kind of tell us like your life story? Uh, where did you originally come from? <laughs> okay, life story. Uh, originally came from my mom. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin. Um, I was uh, in a rural community in Wisconsin. It was where I grew up. Um, I actually enlisted in the Air Force in the summer of 79. I know that uh, looking at the faces I'm talking to, that was before you were thought of. But um, uh, I joined uh, the Air Force uh, as a uh, aircraft systems technician. Um, I actually worked uh, mostly hydraulic uh, pneumatic systems and flight refueling systems. Uh, accessory system in the Air Force, it's anything that's um, attached to an engine except for the engine. So everything that electrics, uh, hydraulics, uh, air conditioning, everything that runs off the engine. And so uh, that's uh, kind of where I started my career, doing aircraft maintenance as a specialist. Um, you know, I, I, we were talking just a little bit er earlier uh, around the map doing that, but mostly uh, I worked uh, the bigs. So I uh, worked, worked uh, KC-135s, uh, which are the air refueling tankers. I uh, worked B-52s, um, uh, G models, if that makes any sense to any of your uh, listeners. And then uh, I, I worked uh, B-2s, uh, which is where I retired here uh, in Missouri. Um, you know, kind of, there's a lot of left and right turns in the middle of all that, but uh, 23 years uh, uh, from uh, start to retirement. Uh, retired twice, actually. Uh, retired in uh, August of uh, uh, 01, uh, 911 happened, and then I got called back and did another three months before I retired again uh, in January of 02. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the 23 year span. So I actually started here uh, in that August of 01. Um, I had done internships here uh, while I was stationed at, uh, at Whiteman. Uh, while I was still full-time active duty, I was finishing my grad program and emphasizing in career development. So I was working for the Career Services Office uh, on campus here. That would have been in, uh, in 99, uh, 2000, before I became, decided to retire there and come on full-time here in 01. So a little over 20 years here, 23 years at the Air Force. And yep, that means I'm old. Um, uh, so uh, what, uh, you know, um, as far as deployments and, and things like that, uh, most of mine were fun. <laughs> um, you know, I, I probably the, the, the best deployment ever was uh, Bermuda and the, the worst ever was Saudi Arabia, uh, Gulf War kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I would say uh, most of my uh, time, right up until really the last uh, couple of years, it was fairly, uh, fairly peaceful time, so to speak, a lot of Cold War time. Uh, so a lot of people, you know, uh, threatening each other, but nobody did anything. So um, I didn't have nearly as many deployments as the active duty uh, uh, guys and girls nowadays. I, I feel pretty fortunate about that. 
nobody, nobody, you know, we volunteer for this, but nobody wants to go to war. I can tell you that. So what kind of made you go into the Air Force in the first place? So how did you get into that? Uh, um, so, you know, I don't know that they do this really anymore, but uh, I had uh, gotten a little bit of, uh, you know, teenage-itis, I'll call it, uh, you know, a little trouble with the uh, local municipalities, and it was my way uh, to uh, find a new life, so to speak. Uh, I'll, I'll cut a few details out of that, but uh, I was in trouble, uh, and this was a place to uh, start over, uh, and it worked out really well for me. They uh, they were still doing that whenever I went through boot camp in 2012, and yeah. uh, I believe that's also uh, how Dewey got involved in the Air Force. So that, kind of uh, that's exactly yeah, for, for me, yeah. For me, it was uh, um, a you know caseworker who kind of just argued, you know, you know, like most uh, teenage uh, guys, he could use a little bit of discipline. We think that he would you know do well here and. Uh, based on my alternatives, it was definitely a good one, and so I, that's, that's where I went. Uh, and I think, you know, the first enlistment was kind of considered probation. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how it all worked out or that it was fine, and you know, went on from there. Uh, and certainly, it wasn't big enough trouble that stopped me from getting my top secret clearances. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. I've noticed kind of a theme uh, whenever it comes to the reasons people have enlisted, it's either they've gotten in trouble, uh, which you mentioned, and uh, Dewey, I believe, was also one of those uh, cases, uh, or they, uh, I've also noticed some people go because they can't go to college or for financial reasons, or they need a job, and that it offers good benefits and uh, all of that. So some people go for that. Yeah, so what I was gonna say is that most 18 year olds um, are kind of in the same uh, position. And that is uh, most of their parents don't want them to remain as a bum in their basement. And so most have to then make a choice. What am I doing? Um, and whether that's, uh, whether it's financial, as you were mentioning to get into college or if it's, uh, hey, you know, I'm really not, uh, wanting more school or, or feeling like that's a place I'd be successful, you have two more choices. One is just go get a job and the other is uh, uh, you can join the military, which in, in itself is a job, but it's, it's, a, it's a deeper commitment than that. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't, I don't look at it as uh, like we only had certain alternatives or, or what have you. In fact, uh, what got me into doing what I'm doing now is very much uh, a place where I got in my career, and one of the things that uh, it's a term, um, you know, that is uh, used more in higher education than the military, but it has a bigger place in the military than it does in higher education, and it's uh, it's called um, it's a Latin term called uh, in locus parentis, uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but what it really means is that um, uh, in particular situations where uh, individuals are removed from their normal uh, family support systems, then whoever your boss is during the day becomes your parent at night. Um, and so they're responsible for you 24 hours a day. Um, and so one of the things that happens is if uh, then if one of your, uh, 
for lack of better terms, one of your kids gets in trouble, well, you have to go stand in front of the man too, right? And so one of the, one of the issues that, um, you know, all, all along, I mean, you're, you know, from an early age, you become uh, a mentor. I mean, your first couple of years, and then after that, you mentor other people, and that's really the role you have um, in the military uh, for the rest of the time that you're there. You're always mentoring and leading somebody uh, past at once you pass the first year or two, and and so that became a just a regular part of the day. And there was a particular time. Um, so I, I was on an engineering team. That's how I got here. Um, I was. Uh, the individual hired uh, by the Air Force uh, special duty to come build the hydraulic repair capability for the B-2 bombers. That's, that's why I'm in Missouri in the first place. But if you know anything about the timeline, we were here building that repair capability before we got airplanes. So I was here and I, was, I got here in May of 92, but we didn't get our airplanes until uh, December of 93. And one of the things that I learned in that was, it was quite a, honestly, it was a management mistake but I had put together a personnel plan because I had to say what it's going to take to repair this airplane and keep it flying. And I put the, re the, the plan in and kind of forgot about, uh, uh, and I'm not sure, uh, Andy, if the Marines were quite like this, but uh, it's very much in what they call an upper out philosophy. So uh, different than the civilian world, you can't um, be happy in one job and just stay there. They, they want you to continually be promoting and once you get promoted, they're looking at, all right, where are you going next? So it's very accelerated. You're continuously progressing or it's time to move on, right? Um, yeah. And so that's a part of the, the process as well. And so you're, you're mentoring guys through this entire process. And I, I put this plan together and they were like, yeah, you're not going to have airplanes for another year. And we don't want everybody to promote out of the positions. So what I ended up with is a large number of raw recruits right out of technical school uh, or whatever they, again, different branches have different words for it, but it's, it's job training. So I had um, a, uh, a shop with uh, several, uh, several, almost 100% of them were 18, 19 year old right out of uh, technical school. And, and then you take the location and the problems that come with location and, and here's what I had. Honestly, I had, I had a, a bunch of 18 and 19 year old guys trained during the day and then come down to Warrensburg and uh, um, with their money and create problems with the, with the students that were here. Um, and and I, it was nothing but trouble. So, but I was standing in front of our uh, uh, com uh, commander with uh, these young guys and, and and the third time, the, the commander was like, um, you know, the normal riot act. And then he dismissed the uh, young man uh, and told me to stand uh, still. Uh, and then he got into my stuff. Uh, and it was about uh, my career. And it was, uh, you know, kind of one of those uh, moments where it's, uh, hey, fix this or your career's over. And so... There was a walk that I had from his office back to where my uh, workplace of work was, where there was a lot of contemplation. <laughs> and I decided at that time, I was gonna sit down with each of these guys. Uh, and I didn't have any you know, young ladies at the time, so it is, was guys. But I was one-on-one -on -one with them and figure out, all right, well, I'm gonna help them establish some goals, figure out where they're going in life, because I know this isn't their end goal. And then I was going to do everything I could to help them get focused and accomplish that. Uh, and 
turned out to be a, um, a, a program that got implemented um, Air Force-wide after uh, the success rating uh, from doing that. They all were extremely successful. We turned it around, and I found that way more fun um, and challenging, perhaps, than making airplanes fly. I mean, uh, I can make an airplane fly, and I still, when, I, when a B-2 flies over, for me, it's music. Uh, but they come with manuals, uh, and I work with the engineering teams that put those tech manuals together. The people don't come with a manual. So if you can figure people out, that's a real accomplishment, and it was just more fun to me. And that's actually when I started college. I mean, I, uh, I was at that time, I was 30 years old. Uh, that's when I took my first college class. And, uh, and so that's because I, was, I knew that that's what I wanted to do, but they wouldn't let me do it outside of the Air Force without any, uh, the, the proper education. And so I was determined that before I hit retirement, I was going to get that education. Um, and, and again, uh, the, you know, it was a different time, so perhaps it might have been easier. I don't want to say that I had an easy road, but it, uh, I also see what people are going through nowadays. Um, and so I was able to uh, finish four different degrees while I was still working full time uh, and uh, with the Air Force. And uh, it's definitely opened the door. So I, I came in here helping people figure out as a career counselor, figure out career goals, life goals, and then uh, attach that to what's the right major and help them get their, uh, their, their, some of their college career started. Um, and, and so it was, I'm doing what I was doing in the Air Force, uh, other than fixing airplanes. I'm doing the same thing. It's just a different group. And then, and that's really where I'm coming from when I say human development, because uh, I've been doing this now, this is my 20th year at the university. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been doing this for long enough to go, you know what, uh, 18 and 19 year olds, uh, at the core, they're the same people just trying to find out who they are and what their role in life is. And, you know, what's, you know, what's, what's their purpose? What's the why that gets them out of the bed in the morning and how do we help them accomplish that? Uh, so it's not a whole lot different than the days back when I was, uh, in the hangar at T9 uh, at Whiteman and helping, uh, young airmen figure that out. Now it's just young college students. So it's transitioned. Uh, I do almost the exact same thing on a daily basis now than I did then, except I don't wear a uniform. I came up with like six questions uh, while you were while you're telling your story and you answered like every single one of them almost as soon as I thought of it. One question uh, you haven't answered um, that I thought of. Uh, so you said you get a lot of 18 year old, 19 year old um, kids fresh out of high school. Uh, do you follow the same process with a with a non-traditional student? Is it um, the same steps or? No, you know what you know what the it's the same philosophy, but it's not never the same steps. So there's no cookie cutter to life, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the the process is this: um, I've got to get to know every individual in my office as an individual, not as a okay, you are a eighteen year old. Blah, 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 or you're a 25-year-old, blah, blah, blah. No, it, it's, you know, who's Andy? Who's Garrett, all right? So if you're sitting in my office, I want to know your story uh, and develop a relationship with you. Because success, I mean, it's in the title of, of what we do, right? I'm the, um, and even though it was a little bit off earlier, uh, Garrett, I'm the director of student success. Um, but anyway, um, so 
when we look at what is student success, I can give you a lot of different numerical measurements for this, uh, you know, like retention and graduation on time uh, and all those kinds of things. That's what I have to report to the institution. But that means jack to you. I mean, you guys got to know this, right? When you yeah. sit in my office, success is not Ken's definition. I get to know Andy or I get to know Garrett or whoever's sitting in my office, what's you ultimately their definition for success. If they don't even have one yet, that's when you start. You have to figure out what is their why and why would they want to uh, you know, get up in the morning. And then if they're here in college, what's the role college has to play in that, right? That you, you know, it's not just about gaining credentials that do nothing, right? It's about what is college going to do? What doors is that going to open up that leads you to your defined success? So it's never my definition. It's always got to be the person sitting in my office. What is their definition? Once we figure out what that is, then we can put a plan together. And honestly, for most people, it's, uh, it's kind of like putting an address into Google Maps, right? You come up, it also gives you about five different ways to get there. And then it's a conversation. What's the best way for you to get there? Um, there's no, again, there's no one way to doing most things. There are some careers that you have to have a very specific major, but there are most careers that it's, uh, hey, I can take these five routes and they all are equal. So which one's the best one for you? Um, and, and that's a part of that process as well. So, uh, and there's a lot more that goes into a decision in any one thing. So most of us at some point, uh, and I know for sure, uh, you know, uh, Andy, that you know, having been a vet, that you're a vet, you took an ASVAB, right? So yep. the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, ASVAB. What is uh, aptitude? It is your, it's either a, a skill or ability you have or have the potential to gain. So military looks at that completely backwards uh, from how we look at it. And that is, they go, what's our need? You have a potential, guess what your job is, right? And they push yeah. you into there, not necessarily what you want to be. It's where I need you and I think you can be successful. You chose the Marines. And so apparently you just want to be a Marine. Here's how I can use you. That's, that's how the military uses that. But aptitude is just one piece of the puzzle. It has nothing to do with what's your personality, what's your interests, what's your motivators, what's your value system. And those are, I mean, that's just a, a few. Those are different pieces of a much larger puzzle. And, and if you ignore that, you can have somebody who's really good. I'm good at things I have absolutely no interest in doing, right? Uh, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm married 38 years. I, that, in fact, my 38th anniversary was last week. I'm an awesome taking. No, I take the trash out. But that is not my career. I'm very proficient at it. But I don't want to do that. I have nothing interest. That's why you have guys that, and you know this, that end up in positions that they're really good at, but they're burnt out and can't wait to get out because that's the last thing I want to do with my life. Not that it had anything to do with the Marines or the Air Force or what have you. It was, it was it's kind of a backwards way of doing career concepts. So we go the other way and go, here is, let's say you're a complex thousand piece puzzle, right? Uh, think of it from that angle. If I pull one piece out, I don't care how long you stare at it, you're not going to know what the picture is until I let you get more pieces and start putting them together. 
that's the process we take here. So aptitude is important. You have to be able to be good at something. I mean, nobody wants to work hard their own entire life and go, you're really mediocre, right? No, yeah. you, you want to figure out what is it I want to become great at? Um, and then we, we try to figure out what does that look like in a career? So aptitude is an important piece, but you have to be able to be yourself and get paid for it. What is that? That's personality, right? And so when I think about personality, I have to look at it from what would um, not only be a fit so you could be you, and you know this from anything you've ever been asked to do that goes against what you what is you, the immediate reaction is, ah, right? You feel energy go out of you. And if you do it, you suck it up and because it's a requirement and you do it. But if energy is leaving you the entire time you're doing something, at some point, if you do it too long, too often, it sucks the life out of you. And nobody wants to go through life like that. And so, you, honestly, it's about what allows you to be you and get paid for it. And then, you know, we've looked at, you know, that particular aspect long enough that I can tell you where people who are like you, which is also why you find that vets get along so well with it, one another. Why? Because we all chose to do something. There was a part of that, why did we choose to do that? That even if we did completely different things, we can still, we still find an equal bond because we all know we went through crap together, right? The other is uh, we all have that particular part of our personality that said that's a, that's a value we have. And so it doesn't take much to find common ground but if all of a sudden you go to a, an entirely different uh, uh, situation or scenario, um, it, it's hard. If all of a sudden, um, you know, you're going from being a very um, uh, rule-following vet, and, and then you go, hey, um, screw the rules and let's protest, that, that, that's it's so contrasting. So then you have to go, How do, where do I fit here, right? And that becomes hard. And so we have to, we have to figure out, where do we put people that, uh, or where do people choose to go that then allows them to have other people, their people, so to speak, uh, the people who can support, collaborate, cooperate. You like to hang out even after work because, well, that's my people, right? It's their friends. They're, uh, we have a bond. Um, and that's an important part of uh, any career decision we make. So there's that. Um, you know, I, I say motivate. Motivate comes from deep inside. What causes you to actually put energy towards some, doing something? Uh, and the easiest way to explain that is if you get to do something that you're excited about doing, you wake up before the alarm clock goes off because something inside of you said, wake up, it's going to be cool, right? But if you have to do something you're not looking forward to, and if you're like me or any other uh, red-blooded American, you slap the snooze button and try to convince yourself for another 10 minutes, Right? There's a difference. Where does our motivation come from? And I want to be energized by what I get to do, not what I have to do. And so, and we get, and we know those people. So that's a part of how we uh, help people figure those paths as well. I mean, so every one of these is a piece. And so, like I said earlier, with one piece, I can't tell. Um, but if I put enough pieces to a puzzle together, I've always been able to tell before I get to the last piece. So all I have to do is just keep working one piece at a time, go, how does that fit into the puzzle? We laugh about the stuff that's hysterical because there's always hysterical things on those assessments that we take because they don't fit you. They're only looking at one slice and it doesn't take you into consideration, right? I mean, I can tell you that um, my interest assessments uh, suggest perhaps I should be a funeral home director. Well, no, but if I look at the core, uh, the core of what their uh, task, duties, and responsibilities are, they uh, help people 
at a very difficult point in their life, make decisions that have to be made in a timely manner so they can get on with their life. It's what I do. I just like college students. I don't like dead people, right? So the point is that actually is there for a reason and it does fit. I can laugh about it because I never want to be that, but I know why it's there. So yeah, I kind of found that uh, interesting because I actually earlier today I was talking with someone and well, I am a uh, senior and it's just, you know, kind of stressful thinking about uh, a career going out in the job uh, workforce. And I think, you know, it really hit home what you said and talked about, like, you have to find what motivates you. You know, you, you can be good at something, but if you, if it doesn't motivate you, you're just going to get burned out. And I feel like a lot of people, go get in get stuck into a job that kind of a dead-end job where they don't get much out of it and they kind of get burned out after a while so i feel like people really do need to you know some people could really benefit from that one-on-one time you know with a with someone over at the success advising center kind of in your position uh where they kind of give you uh they kind of figure out figure out what motivates you and what you'd be good at long term and not only like good at in terms of aptitude but what would actually motivate them what what's like the perfect job for them because i don't think a lot of i don't think everybody thinks about that they think of just a paycheck just going to work every day but you have to find something that truly uh to borrow a, a popular saying uh you know, the job that you enjoy isn't a job, you know, finding one of those jobs that it doesn't feel like a job. It's more like a hobby, but you get paid for it. (laughs) And I think it really helps that um, you seem very passionate about this stuff when you talk about it. And um, the, I mean, the fact that you found out what you wanted to do, um, not even, I mean, it wasn't exactly an MOS or, um, a job in the military it's just kind of something you fell into you're like this is what I want to do I'm passionate about it uh, you're good at it you've been doing it for 20 years now correct right so I mean I just think it that really kind of helps drive home the point that there is a job out there for everyone it just might take you a while to find it sorry about that no that, that's absolutely it, it's uh in fact I would say when you think about what you love most about the time that you were uh, you, you spent in, it, most people that I talk to, it's a it's the people. It, it wasn't what I either had to do or got to do. It's it was you start then reminiscing about the people. I'm still connected with uh, you know guys that I serve with um, you know to this day, and it's not because uh, of anything else except for that we were there for each other. And in many cases, you're your family so uh, again not to throw any more you know technical terms like that but it, you know it's uh you really are you, you're a family and uh you know i i in fact i i've told the story uh, i had a guy that uh this is just a funny side story has nothing to do with anything probably but i had a, a guy that got married very really young and his uh uh, his new wife wanted to have a birthday party like uh, she never had as a as a child growing up. So she wanted to have a Chuck E. Cheese party. So we were like, "Okay, guys, we're going to Chuck E. Cheese, right?" And so, so 
So here we are, all these adults, uh, at, you know, uh, at, a, at Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, the story is, uh, by the way, I, I've been banned from Chuck E. Cheese for life. <laughs> so so uh, because they were sitting around acting like adults in uh, Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, hey, we're, we're, we're family. And if she wants to have this full experience. So I ran across Chuck E. Cheese and I jumped in the, the vat of, of balls. It didn't work out well for a toddler. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, I, I was escorted to the door. But the bottom line is it, we were that kind of a family it was always like that, right? Uh, you know, hey, this is if you want to do this thing as a family, we're doing this as a family. And uh, to me, that wasn't a huge ask. Uh, I, I probably gave them more that they, than they bargained for. But the bottom line was that's the kind of stuff you would do because you know their family's not here physically. Uh, you become that, uh, and that's that, that's a huge bond. So. That's that's the kind of stuff, but honestly, it's not a whole lot different than the approach that I take with uh, every student I get to uh, work with, and I, and I truly say it that way. I, I, I truly feel it's an honor that I that I'm uh, allowed to even help a person make major life decisions. I mean, that's really when you get at what we do, uh, the decisions that are made uh, for many people. It's a major turning point in their life, um, and I don't take that lightly. Did that really happen at Chuck E. Cheese, or? It did. It did. Uh, yeah. Now, if, if, uh, now, you said you were from here, uh, Andy, right? Are you from here, Garrett? Uh, I'm from Boonville, so this okay. area. So so I'm, I'm not 100% sure if it's still valid. So it was the Chuck E. Cheese, if you've been here long enough, it was when it was uh, right off of Nolan Road. And independence and uh and that was the one i was banned from but they moved to uh 39th street in independence by the over by the mall uh several years back and so uh, my my grandkids i have four grandkids by the way I, my grandkids i have uh, had a party there once and i'm like well i'm about to find out if they have my picture on the wall in the back of the room and they didn't escort me out so you know while i was told i was banned for life i don't know that it's still actually uh, in effect yeah. You got in. You're not banned, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. True story, though. <laughs> I, I, you know, 23 years in the in the military. Believe me, I got stories. If you want stories, I, but I don't think I didn't think that was what this is all about. COVID-19 has uh, been a trying issue for students everywhere, including here at UCM. Mm -hmm. uh, as we men uh, as we mentioned in a previous episode. Uh, COVID-19 has forced some classes to go partially or completely online this semester. So what advice do you have for students who may be struggling with that transition? It, it's, a, it's a lesson in flexibility. So there's, uh, whether you're a student or you're uh, somebody else who works uh, in anything really that uh, you're affected some way. I mean, I don't know, there's, there, I don't know, there's probably no jobs out there that are not affected at all. Um, so. It gives it gives training to a uh, to what the real world could be, um, you know, in the next year or two at least, right? Moving out. So, uh, I, I had this conversation with a student uh, that was um, uh, student teaching right now and talking about the challenges uh, of that. And I said, "Well, it, your timing is actually pretty good." And they were like, "How's how's it good?" And I'm like, "Well." Think about if you'd have graduated last semester and this was your first semester teaching, which they say is the, one of the hardest, uh, you know, the first year of teaching is the hardest, 
Um, you could have been the one responsible for having to figure out how to do all of this. You're actually getting to the luxury of learning from somebody else who had, had figured this out. So as much of a challenge as it is for you to learn it, think about the people who are having to actually be successful in a, uh, in a, in my livelihood depends on this, right? Um, I'm not saying one's easier than the other because it's stressful. Uh, um, I probably, if you want to know the biggest impact, I, I think I see um, uh, mental health um, as definitely service. Um, I was actually going to ask, like, what it, what was the biggest thing that students have been like challenged with since since this whole virtual campus has kind of um, developed? I, I think there's there, it's a great question. I think it goes a couple of different uh, ways. That the early on, um, one of the biggest things that our success coaches, and I don't know if you know about our, our kind of our structures, we have advisors. That's the professional staff, and then our success coaches. Uh, we have uh, every every advisor has a, um, for lack of uh, success coaches, a peer uh, uh, educator that works in tandem with that advisor. So there's a peer to peer approach, and and ninety percent of what they were dealing with early on was helping people figure out how to uh, do time management. Now, that's not unusual because eighteen year olds struggle with time management anyhow. Uh, but in this particular case. Every professor, as you guys know, every professor had their unique way of uh, being flexible and making this happen. And so every student was at the mercy of trying to figure out how do I coordinate all these five different, six different, you know, very unique, flexible structures and put a planner together. So I know they spent a large amount of time helping people take a deep breath, let's pull out all your syllabi and what they're telling you, and let's put a, a plan together. So that you don't feel so overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do today, right? So there was that. But I, I also think uh, a whole nother issue that is, is becoming more and more of an issue is the isolation. You know, um, for as much as you know, college students complain about it, uh, having roommates and, and suite mates, and that also, uh, and again, very similar to the military, you, if you have to do something tough together, that makes you more bonded. So when obviously you take, and if you call this, um, you know, typical college life tough, I have to now be a roommate and I've never had one my entire life. And I have to figure out who's uh, between four people who's responsible for this bathroom. And then, and then, and right now they're put in individual rooms and they're uh, encouraged to isolate. Right. And then there's uh, we try to get people involved, engaged on campus because the more you make this place yours, the more you're, it's yours, and it really is a belongs to students, not anybody else, right? But if you're not engaged in, and becoming involved and taking ownership, then you feel like I'm living in a place that I don't belong. I don't. I'm not meeting anybody new, um, and all of a sudden, it, um, what you would take as our our uh, prison system would say, hey, if I really want to discipline a prisoner, let's make, put them in, uh, in solitary confinement. And all of a sudden, now we're asking people, hey, just be, put yourself in solitary confinement and thumbs up, right? Uh, it's not working out well. So I do know that there are students um, that, are, that are struggling with, you know, I, the mental health that goes with, I don't have any uh, friends here. I don't, I, I don't feel involved. I don't feel engaged. I don't, uh, that's tough. Um, and 
as the as the semester wears on and, and really honestly this is, is, you probably probably can relate because I think it's been the same and I have the same feeling but like a semester it's a cycle right first couple weeks you're energized you're excited you're uh, you're gone how you're all over it and then there's this really long period right where it's like from the middle of September to the middle of November, like two solid months. And it's just like dragging on and on and on. Will this ever end? And then all of a sudden it's done, right? And then you're like, what happened? And then you, you figure it out and a month later you do it all over again. And so right now we're in this long, we're halfway through this long lull of it's dragging on. And I don't have my people to support and collaborate and, and, and commiserate with because we're, we're isolated. So we're not, we're not doing as many of those engaging activities. So I think the mental health uh, of being isolated is rearing its head. Uh, I probably, uh, my staff has walked more people to the counseling center um, this month than they ever have in any one given month because it, wow. they're at their limit. I am, and so it's a, it's a real, that's a real thing. And I think on top of all of that, I mean, you know, the isolation and all of that, I think there's also the worry about COVID itself. I mean, because there's a lot of people, I know the person I was talking with earlier was actually my counselor and I was talking uh, to them and I was just talking about, you know, I'm worried about COVID, you know, what if I get COVID or what if my uh, dad gets COVID or what if a friend, a close friend gets COVID and gets seriously ill? I mean, that's, I think a lot right. of students realize that's a legitimate concern. Uh, and, you know, there's also the concern of, well, what if I get it and not even know I have it and then spread it? Or, you know, there's just so many things and COVID-19 is so unpredictable and there's a lot that we don't know about it. It's, you know, as my counselor said earlier today, it, it's, you know, the unknown, you know, that can really throw a lot of people off and can really uh, cause a lot of anxiety, you know, and I know a lot of people whose anxiety has been really a lot worse this semester uh, because of that. And I also... I, 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 would oh. agree. I was just going to say, I, I, would, I would agree with that, but I would also... Uh, probably expand what you just said that um, every individual no different than what we were talking about earlier every individual is in a different place and so respecting that individual and uh, and their feelings uh, is so important right I mean um, I'm we may not um, have the same feelings about that issue or quite honestly any any issue we want to talk about but it's not about my feelings and, and I can never tell somebody what they're supposed to feel, right? Their feelings are legitimate to them. And so when we think about it from that angle, it's about uh, respect and support. So if you express, hey, I'm worried about this and from these couple of angles, then, then if I'm gonna partner with you, I have to be just as concerned, even if I don't share those feelings myself, because it's not about me, it's about you and you have to be successful, right? So how do I support that and get you through that? And, and even in, in just the microcosm of my, of my center, we have between the uh, full-time staff and, the, and the, uh, the student staff, we have about 60 people that work in. And so it, it follows a population norm. I have people, 
on one end uh, of my staff who think this entire thing's a joke. I have other people on this end that are this close to meltdown because, um, you know, it's very real. And then most people are somewhere in between. Um, and and nobody's, nobody's wrong, right? I mean, at some point, you just have to go from their perspective, this is how they see it. And, and so what you're saying, Garrett, is absolutely true. Um, and it, and it, it is a very much a a large issue that we cannot put our hands around. And, and some of what we know is truth, and some of what we know is urban legend. Uh, media definitely has its way of, uh, of putting that into us, right? So we start believing, and then we have those confirmation biases, right? So if you, if you think something and then you see it, that automatically is true, right? And because it already confirmed what I was feeling, and your feelings are like any feelings, it's a reality to the perceiver, right? So it is real. And then I heard hear this, whether it's a uh, fact checked uh, or not, if it, if it supports my narrative, then it supports my narrative. And we grab on to that stuff, um, whether, it's, whether it's for or against, it doesn't even matter. It, it, that's how all human beings kind of work. And right now we're being barraged by all the amount of media attention because it's it's a pandemic i mean it's it's global it's huge and so there's a more than enough from every possible angle so no matter who you are uh you're going to have some concern uh, for for me um as much as that, that i respect that I, I i and maybe this comes from uh, having been deployed into a war zone and and, and come out the other end um there are things that are absolutely scary and there are things I have control over and there's things I don't have control over. And I'm gonna to choose to uh, worry about the things I have control over because when I don't have control over something, living in fear is the worst way to live. And so um, for me, I, I kind of make a, a resolution. If I have no control over, I'm not going to spend a large amount of time worrying about it because worrying never fixed anything. I, all I can do is do my best to protect myself, protect my uh, the students, staff that I interact with. And so, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm sitting here in, you know, two feet away from my computer, so I'm not wearing a mask. But, I, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem putting my mask on and, and, and do whatever I can, to, uh, even if it uh, is a, only a percentage uh, that I might make it a little bit safer than making it safer, making other people more comfortable. I'm going to do everything possible, right? Uh, and so I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's, uh, it, so please finish your thought, but it, it's what was, it was kind of bubbling up as you were saying. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And in fact, my counselor kind of mentioned basically the same thing. I mean, we have control over a certain amount of things. And then there's the rest of this that we have no control over. We don't have control over whether we get whether we actually get the virus. We don't have control over whether a friend gets it, and we don't have control over how bad it gets. What we do have control over is whether we wear a mask, whether we take uh, socially distance, whether we take those precautions like we're uh, washing our hands and sanitizing. So I mean we should take all the precautions we can, but we shouldn't constantly worry about the things we have no control over. Because as you mentioned, it can do a lot more harm than good 
to worry about those things that we can't control. And I think that's yeah, just. That's a, a, and I think that's, thoughts, and I think that's just a good like life lesson in general. That doesn't just apply to COVID, but just everything. That's correct. I was, what I was going to say is that that is very much if you are familiar with Daniel Goleman's uh, research on emotional intelligence. That is the essence of emotional intelligence: is that uh, I have, we are emotional as beings, but I have to be intelligent about what I can and cannot control. Uh, because getting emotional about something that I can't control uh, only uh, takes away from my effectiveness and uh, my uh, quality of life. Definitely. So another thing that you brought up that I wanted to kind of discuss uh, that I have on my uh, list here is, um, so you was kind of talking about what is, what some people call the honeymoon period where we come come back from summer vacation and everybody's excited to be back on campus. Uh, we're seeing our friends again. Classes are starting. Everybody's having a good time. And then about the middle of September, late September sometimes, uh, things just go way downhill. And then as you mentioned, there's this long stretch of boringness until middle of November and then it's tests, you know, prepping for final exams and projects, 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 projects. So, and you can also see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, at the end of November. So one of the questions I had was like, how do you see, uh, you know, what are some ways students can kind of stay motivated through that long stretch of boring uh, hell, if you want to call it. Well, it, it it's a grind, right? Um, but um, my advice would always be to uh, figure out how to invest yourself in it, because education is never anything more than what you put into it, right? In fact, uh, if I look at uh, Einstein, he's the one who said, uh, the only real educator is experience. What ed, what a institution like this tries to do is put you into situations that then you are experiencing things in a classroom so that you can then take it someplace else in the world, right? So what you're experiencing is not any different um, than uh, the larger picture when you leave out of here, right? So here's here's the here's the um, perhaps sad news, I'm not sure. Uh, is that everything in life up till um, you know you finish college is very segmented. All right? Think about this: and that you are you're born, and then you have you know a few years at home, then you have a few years in grade school, then you have a few years in middle school, then you have a few years in high school, then you have a few years in college, and, or a college or a few years in the military. Right? Everything's segmented. And what you also said is, I know where the light at the end of the tunnel is. But guess what? When you leave college, if you, well, think of it in terms of a college semester, if you quit your job every 16 weeks because this is boring, you're not going anywhere, so, right? So you have to start thinking about longer term because you know, you know how long the semester is after you graduate college? 45 years, by the way, because professional life is about 45 years long average after college. I'm, 20, I'm 22. Uh, when I, uh, when I, as a traditional student, would graduate, and I'm about 67 when I retire. There it is, 45 years. And so when you think of that, 
And that semester is the one you really have to decide. So instead of thinking about, uh, you know, hey, this two-month period is really a grind, think about where can I invest in myself so that the 45-year period isn't a grind. And, that, and that's really what it's about is it's figuring out all of who you are and, and putting yourself in the best possible position to get that, um, that career going that is going to leave you energized, feeling like it's a hobby and all the other things you mentioned. Because otherwise, 45 years, and, and I mentioned earlier about, you know, draining some energy, now do something for 45 years and, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, five days a week for 40, it, there's no life left in you. And so you've got to find, so that's, to me, that's what I would tell somebody is, hey, look, stand on your head for these two months because you want to get what it is that you want out of this. And it's not about papers on a wall, right? It's, it's about what are those pieces of paper doing for you, all right? And that's the misnomer of, of college is, hey, I want to get in that diploma. What, what's the diploma doing for you? I tell people it's like buying a vehicle, right? When you think about this, um, everybody buys a vehicle kind of the same way, at least in, in, here in Midwestern America, right? We start with, I know what I can afford, and I know it looks cool. But here's what, how we buy a vehicle. It's got to take me from point A to point B. So if I'm a traditional student, point A being high school, point B is a cool career. If I'm non-traditional, it could be I got out of the military, I'm using my benefits, I want a cool career, Right? That vehicle's got to take you from point A to point B. I have to be able to afford it. And everything after that is how cool do I feel driving this thing, what came with it, right? And that's how this college thing works, right? So you're now on the highway, right? We're two months, we have two months before the exciting part happens. What's the road trip? What are we going to do, all right? And that's where I mentioned the, the mental health is, is kind of at play here because we're not doing those, some of those same things, but you, it's about engaging them in the bigger experience, finding those other interests, finding those other hobbies and things and people, are in, and you do the grind, but you also do the fun stuff. Because if you're not having fun in college, you're doing it wrong, right? I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've, I've, I've lived a lot of different uh, eras of the life now, right? So let me just say, you know, college should be fun. If you're not having fun, yeah, is it going to stress you out? You should, right? Anything that stresses your, uh, stretches your brain and makes you grow is not going to be comfortable. But you should also be having a lot of fun. Uh, and and uh, it's the same thing I used to tell my guys uh, that work for me in the Air Force. You know, hey, we're going to do some crap, but we're going to have fun together. So it's a, I always have the work hard, play hard mentality. It's the same, right? Right, there you are. So it's the same thing in, in college, right? Work hard, play hard, all right? And don't forget that because that's what gives us a balance in life, right? We're not made to just work and we're not made to just play. We're made to be productive and have a purpose, right? Um, uh, Richard uh, Leiter, uh, one of my, I, I, I call him, well, actually some of my staff calls him my man crush, but he, he wrote the book uh, called uh, 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 The Power of Purpose, and, and one of the things he says is there's the two most important first, uh, days in a person's life is this, the day they were born and the day they figure out why they were born, all right? And so when you think about, you know, you're born, that's, that part's done already. But when you figure out why am I on planet Earth and now I know where I fit in this grand cog and we all have a different position here, uh, 
Um, no two people exactly alike. When you figure out what that is, nothing drives you harder, right? When you get on a project that you absolutely love, it's nothing to stay up all night working on it. So figure out, think about the end goal, not the step in the middle of the goal. That's, I know it's a really long answer, but instead of focusing on where I'm in the grind now, figure out how do I create the balance? How do I create, how do I take what I'm doing now that sets me up for that future so that I don't have to worry about it, uh, you know, 10 years from now? And, and, and it, it, go back to the analogy of buying the vehicle. Anybody who drives out in the middle, it's this. I chose the vehicle. I negotiated the price. It was everything I could afford. It was going to take me from point A to point B. And then when they're just about ready to hand me the keys, I go, no, you keep the vehicle. I was just hoping for payments. That's how ridiculous dropping out is. You decide on a vehicle. You've committed to this. You've got to have the vehicle. All right? So do not quit. That's, that's my pep talk in the middle of the semester. You, you just don't want to do that to your future self. Think about who you are in the future, because you're only doing this for one person, and it's your future self, not anybody else. So if you ever need any midterm motivation, uh, get it, get a hold of Ken Schuler, because he's got a he's got a hook on the uh, on the meat of it right there. That was, I I'm excited to go do homework now. <laughs> awesome. What Garrett said was right. There's, I mean, you it's it's the grind like you said and you see the light but sometimes you got to take that step back and do exactly what you said look at why you're doing it and it might not be the funnest but if you get through this you get to the fun stuff so i and, and if it's not hard in between think about this go back to your your marine days if it's not hard in between there's nothing to brag about at the end exactly yeah it's the only reason i joined for bragging rights exactly right so if it was all easy, then you can't go back and go, oh, man. But you feel more proud, more accomplished if you had to grind something out. And so, again, whether you're in a book or you're out in the dirt, it doesn't, it's, it's just a different environment, but it's the exact same feeling. Yep. I actually talked to my counselor about this as well. And basically he said the same thing is you have to remember, you know, why are you doing this? Like, I mean, you're getting your degree and sometimes it can be challenging but when you get out in the workforce if you enjoy what you do i mean because let's be honest i don't know about you andy but uh some of the things that can be stressful about college is just the textbook work and all of that and you have to remember in a job that you know there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days but it's a lot more, and I've heard this from several people uh, who I've worked with who have graduated and went on to start a career. You know, it's a lot more fun out there once you get fi uh, find out what you want to do and find that job that's right for you. So, I mean, for some people, it's just remembering, you know, that you're here to get to that point. And I think that's kind of what uh, Ken was touching on. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, enjoy the journey too, right? Uh, everybody wants to get to the end, but you know what's at the end? It's death. So, yeah. so enjoy it, and, right? And that's not different for any of us. Uh, when that comes, we don't have a, 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 the ability to determine. So enjoy today, 
Look forward to tomorrow, but don't wish it all away. Yeah. Uh, there'll be a time that you go, man, I wish I were back there for, uh, you don't want to be stuck in that. I mean, uh, nostalgia, actually, uh, the word nostalgia was, was first uh, uh, coined. Uh, it's, a, it's a neurosis. It's a, actually, when you talk about what you see your, your counselor, um, people were considered neurotic or, um, uh, you know, um, because they had a feeling of being stuck in the past. Now we consider it some, oh, that's a, that's a good feeling. I, I, think, I reminisce, right? But, but actually, it's a, uh, if you look at the word nostalgia, look up the history of the word, it's actually a, a psychological neurosis. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the, enjoy where you're at. Uh, don't wish it away. As you mentioned, work hard and play hard. Yeah, it's, it, you, you, can, you can, you say those words to any vet, I promise you, as in, in this, uh, the, the vet's voice or whatever, I forgot what we were called, sorry. They uh, mentioned to anybody and they've all worked under that philosophy. That's true. Well, thank you for being a guest on today's show, Ken. Uh, it was greatly appreciated and I think we had a really great uh, discussion today. So with that, uh, if anyone in our audience has a topic they would like to hear covered on the UCM Veterans Voice, um, we have a survey posted on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, don't forget to like uh, and follow us on our Facebook and Twitter pages or Twitter accounts as well. Be sure to tune back in for our next episode on October 30th, Halloween Eve. <laughs>